This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the MomWell Podcast. Today, I am excited to welcome psychotherapist Catherine Morgan Schaffler to the show. Catherine is a writer, speaker, and former on-site therapist at Google. She recently published the book, The Perfectionist Guide to Losing Control, to help reframe the way we look at perfectionism. Now, I've often said I'm a recovering perfectionist. I'm an A-type, high achiever, and I've often pushed myself to excel. I've challenged myself and felt good when I've met those challenges. But when I became a mom, I felt like I was always falling short. I couldn't keep up with everything. I didn't know what I was doing and I was often learning on the job. And I started to question if I was cut out for this role. It took my full-on breakdown-turned-breakthrough to start questioning perfectionism and to realize how damaging it can be in motherhood, holding moms to unreasonable standards and making them feel as if they can never be or do enough. I talk a lot about the potential harm of perfectionism and the perfect mummy myth around here. So when I started reading Catherine's book, I was surprised on her hot take. She didn't view perfectionism in a completely negative light. Instead, she argued that there are two forms of perfectionism, a healthy form and an unhealthy form, and that maybe we don't have to renounce our perfectionist tendencies altogether. We just have to work on building a healthy relationship with our perfectionism. In this episode, Catherine and I unpack the two forms of perfectionism. We talk about the way the conversation about perfectionism is often gendered and harsher towards women than men, and how the concept of balance is unrealistic for moms. We discuss what healthy perfectionism looks like and how you can take steps towards challenging your relationship with perfectionism. But before jumping in, let's hear our iTunes review of the week. This review comes from Amanda T, and it's titled, Love It Mama. I stumbled upon this podcast looking for open and honest discussion to help me grow. I wish I listened to you before I gave birth. Your podcast is honest and thoughtful and honestly a really nice rule book for what a mother could expect after having children. I think our society focuses so much on what to expect while expecting, but nothing for after you take your child home. The topics are deep but light and your guests on the show are super easygoing. Easy listen. Thank you. Thanks so much, Amanda, for taking the time to leave a review. I couldn't agree more that we don't take enough time to help moms prepare for and adjust to motherhood. And I'm so glad that you found some comfort in the podcast on your journey. For any of you listening, I really value each comment and review that you leave. Head to iTunes, leave a review, and let me know how this show has impacted you. Okay, let's dive in and hear my interview with psychotherapist Katherine Morgan Schaffler. When I became a mom, I was shocked to discover how much I worried. I thought that if I just made it to the finish line of a safe delivery that my anxiety would lessen, but it only escalated. Everything seemed potentially scary or dangerous. Intrusive thoughts crept into my mind and I worried about safety, schedules, feeding, and sleep, overanalyzing every decision, obsessed with making all of the right choices. I stayed up at night to check if my baby was breathing. When he was fussy and crying, I felt panic, and I felt like I had to research every gadget and go down the research rabbit hole before making a choice. 
Looking back, it's so clear to me that I, like so many of you, was struggling with anxiety without even realizing it. Anxiety is one of the most commonly overlooked and misunderstood challenges moms experience in pregnancy, postpartum, and beyond. Becoming a mom comes with new worries, but if those worries are creating distress, affecting your daily life, or making you feel unlike yourself, you might be struggling with a level of anxiety that goes beyond new mom worry. Anxiety as a mom can make us doubt ourselves, rob us of our confidence, our sense of safety, and our enjoyment in motherhood. But motherhood doesn't have to be that way. We can learn tools and skills to help us navigate anxiety, manage our symptoms, and reclaim peace and joy. That's why I created a course called Managing Postpartum Anxiety, building a toolbox for overcoming anxiety in the postpartum and beyond. In this course, we cover the causes and symptoms of postpartum anxiety, what intrusive thoughts are and how to move past them, how anxiety shows up in the mind and body, lifestyle changes to help reduce symptoms of anxiety, how to identify thought traps and reframe negative thinking, grounding and mindfulness strategies to reduce anxiety in the moment, and how to reclaim a sense of safety, confidence, and peace. I've also created a workbook with practical exercises to help you put everything you learn into action. Each module is broken out into digestible lessons that you can work through at your own pace. Head to momwell.com anxiety to register. That's momwell.com anxiety. Welcome to the MomWell Podcast, where we're committed to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host, registered psychotherapist and founder of MomWell, Erica Jossa. At MomWell, we know that motherhood is hard, but care shouldn't be. We're committed to providing you with knowledge, tools, and support to navigate the challenges of motherhood. Our mission is to put moms back on the priority list and empower them to create a mental wellness toolbox free from judgment, fear, and shame. On the show, we'll be discussing topics such as postpartum depression, identity loss, the mental load of motherhood, and more. We'll be joined by experts, moms, and professionals who can offer advice, practical tips, relatable stories, and honest conversations. Here at MomWall, we believe that when a mom is well, a baby is well. So join us as we discuss the topics that matter to you with experts who get it. Together, we can redefine motherhood and change the way moms are treated. Catherine, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. I had so many burning questions going through your book. I almost messaged you on Instagram, but thought I would save the tension (laughs) until we're actually here together. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so curious how this book, Baby, came about for you because you talk about your experience working at Google in the book and Mm -hmm. a bit about your background, but how did the book come to be? I'm so curious. Well, the easiest way to answer that question is that we write the books we most need ourselves. Mm. And so this was something that I needed to understand for myself. And the bigger answer is that I've worked in a lot of contexts, clinical contexts, right? So as you mentioned, I worked on site at Google. I worked in a rehab in Brooklyn. I worked with kids who were neglected and abused and 
became wards of the state in Los Angeles. What that means is that they were abused in their family of origin, abused in foster care, and so then like came to live with the state. So tons Mm. of trauma, real deep trauma. And I had a private practice on Wall Street. I've just worked in so many clinical contexts in which perfectionism is present in all of them, Mm -hmm. which stunned me because we think of perfectionism as this achievement-themed thing. Mm. Like only high-functioning people can be perfectionistic. And we don't think of it in the way that it actually shows up in the world, which is this kaleidoscopic mix of positive manifestations of perfectionism, really dangerous, unhealthy manifestations of perfectionism, not just in you know sports or achievement-based areas, but interpersonally, as you're talking about here, between mothers and their children, between relationships, between, you know, just every way that you can think of. Mm. And so the book was really a attempt on my part to contain the patterns that I noticed and to fill in the huge gaping holes in the research. The research world is in agreement that we're in the infancy of understanding what perfectionism is and how it impacts all of us. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how I stumbled across the book. Someone, another author on Instagram, or it must have been in your promotions or something. And I was like, oh, this is so interesting. We talk about this topic all the time. I got into the intro and it took a real positive look at perfectionism and how it was helpful. And I was like, oh, I don't know how we're going to vibe like myself with this book because everything clinically, and you address this in the book, everything clinically that I've sort of been taught or the expressions of perfectionism that... I have worked with and seen have been very rigid, have been that more maladaptive, have caused a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. And so when it opened with like a positive take on perfectionism, at first I was like, whoa, like this is so counter my perspective. And I haven't had a book rock like a perspective or worldview of mine in a really long time. And the further I got into it, And the more you touched on like the gendered elements and the, you know, sort of feminist elements and things, I was having all of these light bulb moments where like, yeah, no, you're really right. It has massaged my idea of what perfectionism is. Now, a little context, and then we'll describe it and we'll go through sort of the two different expressions or or the many expressions. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot here about what we call the perfect mother myth. And this in like mostly sociology research, is called intensive mothering. And it says that you have to be and do it all for your children. Motherhood has to be all-encompassing. You have to sacrifice your whole self. You have to find all your fulfillment and satisfaction in mothering. And we're in this era of these very prominent intensive mothering beliefs. Mm -hmm. So essentially, motherhood has to be all of who you are and take up every bit of you, including your time and financial resources and everything. And so we call that amongst myself and some other colleagues in the field, like the perfect mother myth, like this really unattainable standard that we're never going to reach. Right. And that sets us up for this sort of rat race or treadmill kind of out the gate when we enter parenthood. Yeah. So from that perspective, we talk about perfectionism a lot, like how these unrealistic ideals that we hold and bring into motherhood and parenthood out the gate are just not realistic and they're not healthy, like not even Mm -hmm. realistic. They're just frankly like not good for us. So I'm really curious for us to explore together today 
what perfectionism is maybe like in its like step back in its entirety and understanding when it's serving us and when it's not, I guess. Yeah, that's a great summary. And I think everything you've heard about perfectionism, it's not that it's not true, Mm -hmm. right? Perfectionism is and can be very dangerous Mm. in serious ways and really rob us of joy in life. Mm -hmm. It's not that that's not true. It's that it's incomplete, Mm -hmm. right? Because the way I view perfectionism is perfectionism is a universal human impulse. And it is unique to our species that we have the cognitive capacity to see the reality in our lap and then also envision a better, improved reality. And also the converse, we can envision that things could be worse off. Hmm. And perfectionists, in my view, are people, there's no clinical definition of perfectionist, Mm -hmm. right? So part of the noise in the field is that every researcher and academic and author and therapist is operating with their own definition of what it means to be a perfectionist. Hmm. We're in the infancy of understanding this construct. So it's a little bit like wild, wild west out here. Although on the other side of the field in commercial wellness, we talk about perfectionism like we know it perfectly, Mm -hmm. ironically. We're like, oh, I know perfectionism is definitely bad. We definitely need to not be perfectionists. If you're being perfectionistic, you're unhealthy and you need to be more balanced. And it's such a cartoonish understanding of this kaleidoscopic construct Mm-hmm. So perfectionists, from my view, are people who can see the reality and see the ideal. And there's something in them that pops up more often than not. So in a patterned way that feels an active compulsion to try to bridge that gap. Healthy perfectionists understand that ideals are meant to inspire. Mm-hmm. Unhealthy perfectionists think that ideals are meant to be achieved. Mm-hmm. Ideals by definition cannot be achieved, hmm. right? And there's no such thing as being like, I'm a healthy perfectionist or I'm an unhealthy perfectionist. We're both. Mm-hmm. If you identify with being a perfectionist, you are both. And I talk about this a lot in my book. Being healthy as a person is not a flag you plant in a specific coordinate and then you have arrived and mm-hmm. now you are healthy. That's not true. That's not real. That's not how life works. That's based on the idea that life is static, that things don't change, that your levels of support around you or demands don't shift. You know, we're all up and down and mental health is way more fluid Mm -hmm. than we currently understand it to be. So the question is not like, am I being healthy or am I being unhealthy? It is, I am going to move through life with challenges and support. And I want to do as much as I can to connect to as much support as I can, because I'm going to continue to encounter struggle and I'm going to continue to be both. So it's really not about whether you're healthy or not. It's about whether you feel connection and support or not. Mm -hmm. That's what makes us struggle. The difference between a challenge and a struggle is not the task itself. It's how much connection do I feel to support, to myself, to my body, to someone who understands me. And if we feel as we move through something 
that we are understood, that we have some help, that we have someone who has maybe been there before and can serve as a guide or soundboard, then the same task becomes a challenge and we want to rise to the challenge. But if we feel the absence of all that stuff that I just said, we just feel alone. We're suddenly in the midst of struggle. It's not about the task. It's about your level of connection. Hmm. So the safety to fail and make mistakes and not arrive at that ideal. And I think about when you called out the recovering perfectionist. And do you hear men going around saying, like, I'm a recovering perfectionist? And I can't even tell you how many times I've said I'm a (laughs) recovering perfectionist. Yeah. Because that is something that I carried into motherhood. So a lot of times I think in really structured and competitive or academic environments, perfectionists can thrive because they can really control a lot of the outcomes. Like there's a lot of structure they can bring. There's a lot of control that they can have over their own behavior and their circumstances. They can't control everything, of course, but there's a lot of control. Then when I entered into motherhood, when I can't control this human being and when they sleep and when they feed and when, you know, they stop crying and when they don't and everything kind of became like a live wire for me at that point, having to sort of reevaluate my relationship with perfectionism. So it's been an interesting journey to unpack that, like the black and white thinking and the rigidity and the all or nothing. Like I'm either going to do it and do it perfectly or not even attempt to do it at all. Like these more negative expressions were something that were familiar to me and also familiar that I work with in a lot of my clients. Mm -hmm. While also you're going through the tendencies or the desires that perfectionists have, and you you went into a conversation about balance and a client who followed all these sort of prescriptive ideals to create and craft a life that is not maybe equal parts social, but social and work and hobbies and sort of maybe this cookie-cutter pie chart that we would expect it to be. And she was entirely miserable with the Mm -hmm. outcome. And that was like, okay, I so relate to that because I cannot like just null that part of me either. So I just found it so interesting to describe the personality, but also the relationship that I've had and probably many perfectionists have had with their perfectionism is possibly negative. Yeah. And that in the research world is called maladaptive perfectionism. And maladaptive perfectionism is the way that we think about perfectionism. There is another branch of perfectionism called adaptive perfectionism. And that is when you use that perfectionistic impulse to help you and heal you. Hmm. And you're touching on the gendered aspect of perfectionism, which, you know, is huge. Yeah. A lot of how we drive misogynistic thoughts and attitudes towards our culture, it's delivered through language in ways that aren't obvious to us in the moment, but become obvious later based on our sense of awareness. So for example, the word bossy, we use that word often to describe little girls who are being assertive in some way. We say, don't be so bossy. We don't often tell little boys not to be bossy. Mm -hmm. It's a gendered term. And when we look at ambition in women, you often find that ambitious women who are publicly ambitious, who say, I want this, I'm going to get it. I'm driven to it. I have razor sharp focus. 
I will achieve this goal and then I will make bigger goals and achieve those too. There is often a penalty if you lead with your ambitious side without making it palatable in some way, Mm. without kind of hiding it in some way or sort of doing it in secret. So when you think about perfectionistic women who are allowed to be perfectionistic in our culture, we think of a Marie Kondo or Martha Stewart, women who happen to be perfectionistic about archetypal homemaker interests, Mm -hmm. things that are publicly acceptable to be ambitious about. When you think about a Serena Williams, for example, who is really driven and vocal about her drive and assertive and challenges anyone who tries to kind of get in her way, she's penalized for it Mm -hmm. literally in her games and in so many other ways in culture. And so There is a chapter dedicated to this totally gendered way in which we tell women that they're being perfectionists and they need to calm down and find a balance. Mm -hmm. We don't give those directives to men. Men who are perfectionistic are visionary. They have excellent focus. They're driven leaders. Mm -hmm. And women who are perfectionistic are seen as uptight, rigid, difficult, you know, all this misogynistic stuff that I just want to like nip in the bud. Want to get smarter about your health, but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MomWell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash MomWell. ZocDoc.com slash MomWell.
was scanning my brain trying to think if I've ever been in a room or in a conversation where a man was referred to as a perfectionist. And I literally cannot think of one. Right. And then I was thinking like what types of terms are used to describe them while they value excellence or they, I don't know, all of these other terms that sort of bolster like this leader type of character. Right. And are they ever pushed to balance everything? So this is a really interesting conversation because my husband and I are co-founders of MomWell and we are, it's a tech startup and it is a very unbalanced life we're living together right now. Congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. But also, we wouldn't have it any other way. So we're doing this like leadership group program with our core leaders about wholehearted living and rest and, you know, rejuvenation and a few other things. And a lot of the premise is like the strive should be towards balance or should be towards rest and play. And we're kind of like, but what if like that's not our deal though? Like what if we like that in just like much smaller doses that other people might like it? Or like Mm -hmm. this whole idea of carving out a life that has all of this balance to it doesn't really work for us and our goals and the things that we want to achieve. Yeah. Right. And so it's interesting because we're in this conversation together and he's a man. And I think that sometimes that conversation goes differently, but it was almost very freeing to read the chapter about balance to be like, wait a minute, who even decided balance was the goal? Balance is a joke. It's an urban legend. It's not real. Mm -hmm. I don't know one balanced woman, period. Mm -hmm. And balance is healthy and curative in its original construct, which is about energetic equilibrium. Mm. I feel alive. I feel engaged without also feeling exhausted and burnt out. I feel good inside. That's what balance feels like in everyday life. But the way that we talk about balance in commercial wellness is an exterior framework, Mm. like a pie chart, like you're saying, of I do this much work, but then guess what? When I come home, it's no more work. It's family, family, family. And then I also take this for my me time because I'm so good at being a balanced, healthy woman. And it's just so pie charty and fake. And even just the language around work-life balance implies that work is a separate part of your life Hmm. and that you need to find a way to integrate the two. Work is not a separate part of my life it's a center part of my life. I love my work in the same way that I love my friendships Hmm. and I love my, you know, family. And we would never say child life balance. It's like, what does that even mean? So really getting into the semantics of this and understanding that there's a reason that we call mothers who work outside of the home working moms. And we're not like, well, you're a working dad. So, you know, it's tough right? There's a reason Mm -hmm. that there is the language of resting bitch face for women when they're not smiling and being palatable and overly warm and friendly. And there's no version of that for men. There's no resting asshole face Mm -hmm. because men are not expected to be warm and palatable all the time and balance other people's emotional receiving of them. And they're not expected to do all this stuff. And there's all these kinds of examples in the perfectionist guide to losing control. And one of them is the perfectionist. Mm. So we need to really be critical about the language that we use and how gender role expectations are very subtly nestled inside that language. Mm. And the power of subtlety is that the more plausible deniability there is, 
the stronger the subtlety is and the more powerful it is. Like if you think of flirting, if it's really hard to deny that you're flirting, it's kind of like less of a sort of powerful, fun thing. And you're just kind of throwing yourself at somebody, right? Whereas the more you can say like, was that person flirting with me? Or what's going on here, Mm. right? That is kind of more powerful because you're not quite sure. And in some cases, you don't even realize that you're being, you know, charmed. And the same thing is true for implicit gender role expectations. Like, Mm. but there's a lot of plausible deniability around saying, well, balance is important. You know, it's important for women to take care of themselves and understand that their whole identity isn't wrapped up in one facet of their life. Yes, that's true. Mm -hmm. That's also a good dose of plausible deniability to say that women are not allowed to be ambitious in this culture. Mm. It's so important because I hear from hundreds, thousands of women who say, I'm failing at work, I'm failing at home. I need more, like balance is the word we grasp for. I need more balance in my life. I need to feel like I am succeeding at something. I feel like I'm drowning and I'm not doing anything right. But I think that the call for help there really is that women are carrying two full-time roles now. So we had like 50 years ago, I think it was something like 25 or 30% of women working out of the home. And now there are 75% of women working outside of the home and carrying all of the domestic and childcare duties the majority Mm -hmm. of the time, the majority of women. So what we have now is this pressure cooker of women being what we sort of say as like liberated as women to be able to want and desire and and try and be ambitious, but then constrained in motherhood because they're very subtly and not so subtly policed back into their nurturing role. Right. So now we've got everyone who appears to be doing it all around us, carrying all the things. We are drowning and all we desperately want is like a life raft. And that Mm -hmm. I think that we grasp for that in the form of words like balance, you know, because there's just like a huge societal systemic problem right now. Like care work is not valued. Women are doing two full-time jobs. We do have more partners stepping up, but it's not enough. And so there is a valid struggle here, but I don't think that we're putting the right language to it to really shift the problem. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? I do. And I think the answer to this dilemma, which is inescapable for women, Mm. is not a what, it's a who. It's not what should I be doing more of or what should I be doing less of? Those are important questions. But a better question is like, who can I recruit for support? You know, inviting men into this conversation or partners into this conversation is really important and letting them in on the pain that we feel as people trying to carry something that is an impossible load, right? And rejecting either privately or out loud these ways that women are just like superficially patted on the head of like, you're such a super mom. Mm. You're such a superhero. It's like, I'm going to hand you the impossible boulder of balance, call you a superhero because it's impossible to hold Mm. and sort of give you this patronizing like pat on the back. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't want to be a superhero. I want help. Mm -hmm. And here's how you can help me. That also looks like, you know, letting go of 
certain things, you know, maybe this is the year that you don't plan a holiday with all of your extended family coming in, for example. And guess what? These things that we do to take care of ourselves do not feel immediately empowering. They're painful for us. We feel like we're doing something wrong. They're hard. So as much as you can, telling yourself first, because what, what you tell yourself matters more than what you tell anybody else, telling yourself first, but also as much as you can, giving other people around you a heads up of, I'm going to be changing the way that I engage in my life because I really want to feel alive and available to myself and to the people around me. So that's what this is going to look like. I'm taking a back seat in these areas mm. and understanding that that's not you failing at balance. That's you succeeding at balance because balance is now something we're going to think about as an internal experience. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think when it becomes perfectionism in motherhood, and fueled by our love and desire to care for and protect our children, the idea that we're going to hand something off or the idea that we're going to adjust our expectations and not give 100% maybe in all areas at all times or like, you know, hold the bar in this area but toss the bar out or adjust the bar in this other area, the idea of being flexible and adjusting these ideals can be very, very difficult because they are woven into our idea of what we think it means to be a good mother. Mm -hmm. And so to put them down can feel like, well, I'm admitting I'm failing. I'm not good at my job. And like, I mean, you've worked with tons of perfectionists. When we've got very rigid perfectionism at play, trying to find flexibility or adjust those expectations, I find can be really, really difficult, especially when it's like jet fuel powered by a mother's like care and nurture and safety concerns and things like that. Yeah. And maybe an easier way to think about it could be the saying of a mother's only as happy as her unhappiest child. Have you heard that saying mm -hmm. before? Mm-hmm. And so if you think about it that way of like, I'm a mom and my duty is to help my kids feel, you know, happy and engaged in life. And so I can't be happy unless that duty is being fulfilled. And it is in fact a testament to my motherhood that I can't be happy myself or prioritize myself until that duty is fulfilled. What you're actually teaching your children when you engage in life that way is how to have an unhealthy codependent relationship in which your sense of selfhood and your sense of aliveness and permission to take pleasure in your life depends almost solely on the person you love. Hmm. So you're teaching that son or daughter to grow up and seek out a relationship in which if their partner happens to be going through a clinical depression, they are also going through a clinical depression. Hmm. Because you know what? To love is to be codependent. And that's not what it means to love. Mm -hmm. To love is to engage in interdependence in which you understand that you need people and people need you and what people need from you is your whole self, mm -hmm. okay? That means that if we even just think about any person in our life who is leading what you deem to be a joyful life, think about a woman in your life who seems to really take pleasure in her life, who seems animated, alive, engaged with life, curious, like she's having fun, maybe not all the time, but a lot of the time. 
How does being around that person make you feel? Does it give you more energy? Does it make you feel curious? Does it help you to feel connected to her when she's in the room with you because she's really in the room with you? Now, if we think about a woman who is living very dutifully, Mm -hmm. right? And maybe really making some people proud of the way that she's always the one who, you know, completes the deck at work and makes a beautiful table at Thanksgiving and does this and that. And she's just living this martyrdom kind of life. Mm -hmm. Does it make you feel like, God, I'm so grateful that she sacrificed so much for me. I'm really going to do whatever I want to do in this world. And I feel so much freedom and love. Mm-hmm. Most people find that what they feel is, God, I feel so guilty, mm-hmm. some version of guilt that she's giving up so much for me. And now I feel like I have to do what she wants me to do, which in some cases is as simple as being happy, mm-hmm. right? Or like, what if I'm not happy after college? Now I can't tell her about it because she gave up so much for me, for me to be what? Be depressed, be this, be that. And so we end up splitting ourselves around people who have split themselves Mm -hmm. because we don't feel safe around those people and we don't feel licensed to be our whole selves around them because they weren't their whole selves around us. Mealtime with kids can be stressful. But with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. Mom rage often leads us to feeling ashamed, but the truth is that our rage doesn't mean we're bad moms. In fact, anger is a sign from our bodies that our needs aren't being met. As moms and therapists, Dr. Asherina Reem's psyched mommy and I understand mom rage. We know that we all lose our cool sometimes. And we also know that with the right tools and strategies in place, those moments happen less often. We've teamed up and combined our years of experience to create All The Rage, raising kids with less anger and more connection, a course designed to be your go-to resource for preventing and handling your anger. We dive into what causes your anger, how it impacts your body, how to reframe your thinking, and how to stay calm in triggering moments. And because we are all human, we also include strategies for repairing after we inevitably lose our cool. In honor of Maternal Mental Health Week, you can save $20 on the course with promo RAGE20 this week only. Don't miss out on your chance to save and make a positive change. Head to momwell.com slash rage and save with code RAGE20. That's momwell.com slash rage, code RAGE20.
I find that we grasp for things to measure our performance by in motherhood. I mean, in a corporate or work or structured academic environment, like the grades and the curriculum by which you are sort of graded and and your performance is graded is quite clear cut. Whereas in motherhood, we often pull on social norms and sort of weigh ourselves up against them to see like, am I nurturing enough? Did I do enough of this? Did I do enough of that? And did I give of myself? Was I there for my child? Did I hold this intensive mothering myth, which is our pervasive mindset around mothering right now? Did I live up to those things? And when our measuring stick is so skewed, then it is leading us like down such an unhealthy path where I think the, and this is what I really love about the reframing of perfectionism, like the desire to want to do well in your role as a mother is admirable. Like that is a great trait and quality. I think if we can re-anchor what our measuring stick is, like what you're saying, did I show up and attune to my child today? Was I present with them? Did we spend our, you know, five minutes of quality time before bed? Did I nurture my own needs today so that I could nurture their needs? Like, can this be our measuring stick that we want to put our energy or our perfectionism towards that is helping to nurture our own life and our own self-care so that we can show up, like you said, more full or more restored or more alive, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think in order to do that, you need to change your metrics of success. Mm. So it's not, oh, I spent a whole 20 minutes before bed reading this story and I did this and that and whatever. And my kid ate, you know, five servings of fruits and vegetables today. So I'm a good mom. Mm -hmm. You have to do the work of understanding what your values are Mm. as a family and understanding what they can't be this season. Okay. Right. And so you know, I have a value list in the Perfectionist Guide to Losing Control, and I, I talk about the importance of actually looking at a list and picking stuff because the problem with values is that they all sound good. It's like, yeah, I want to do all, I want integrity, I want courage, I want adventure, I want fun, I want, you know, discipline. But it's like, what do you really want to focus on animating right now? Mm-hmm. And then changing your metrics based on your values because really leading a successful life when it is a self-defined version of success instead of a culturally sanctioned version of success mm-hmm. looks like an alignment of values and an alignment of action. Mm-hmm. So your values and actions match. If someone was floating above your life and they saw what you were doing, they would be able to say what is important to you. So if playfulness or having fun is a value in your home, then you might be like, let's just say making pancakes on Saturday and you go like, you know, flick the flower at one of your kids and have a little bit of a food fight. But then later on, the whole day goes by and the kitchen is still a mess. Mm -hmm. And you see that mess and you say, my value is playfulness, not tidiness. Mm -hmm. Okay. Some moments in your life, tidiness might be a value. That's fine too. There's no judgment to any of this stuff. It's just understanding what takes priority right now. And then when you see that all the things can't take priority, you can't have a fun, carefree, kind of like lively home and it be totally clean and tidy all the time, then using that as a metric of success instead of saying, God, I'm so not balanced. Come on, it only takes 15 minutes to clean. Why can't I get my shit together? Why can't I do this? 
and just like carrying on on this narrative of how you're feeling at doing all the things at all the times for all the people, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When thinking about how I got my perfectionism, let's say under control, I would say that I put some boundaries to it. I anchored it in my values. And really when I reflect on it from this more neutral perspective, it's still very much harnessed just in a very particular direction. And I've worked on flexibility and adaptability when things don't go sort of as anticipated. So there's been like a healthy dose of being able to roll with things when plans change and however, Mm -hmm. but it's still very present. It's just been confined a little bit more or like channeled in a healthier way versus it kind of ruling every thing that I do and feeling like I have to go in a million different directions and live up to the million different things. Yeah. And that's a beautiful framework. And and that is what it means to be an ambitious person. So ambitious people always see so much more ahead of them, so much more stuff that they have to do or that they could do than behind them, Hmm. you know, and that's what it means to be ambitious. And so that's not something you need to fix. It's not something where you, you know, sure, I'm an advocate for looking back occasionally and seeing how much progress you've made. That's important. That's why I talk a lot about the importance of celebration in the book, Mm. celebrating the process, not just the outcome and what we teach our kids when we celebrate the process, celebrate the joy of doing something instead of the joy of achieving something. Mm. And they're not mutually exclusive, but being able to really understand that connection is based on your quality of presence. So five minutes of being with someone when they are present with you and when they are operating with premium quality energy, five minutes of that with your kid is going to go farther than two hours of you exhausted, distracted, resentful, whatever it is. So being able to prioritize your energy levels and I'm not talking about having high energy levels to do more stuff. I'm Mm -hmm. talking about that energetic equilibrium of like, I feel like myself. Mm -hmm. And that feeling is pretty much impossible right after childbirth, right? There's a hormonal landslide. It's a unique time in life where there's just neuroendocrine functioning is totally different and skewed than it normally is. You're having psychosocial differences, meaning like you're not at work as much, your routine's upside down. There's a sleep deficit, Mm -hmm. which ties, you know, very few things impact your mental health in the way that sleep does, Mm -hmm. which is why not sleeping has been a form of torture in warfare for many centuries, right? Mm -hmm. It's like if anyone listening can do one thing, it is just prioritizing your sleep, Like Mm -hmm. I had this client, I talk about this in my book, who was a new mom and came into my office and would fall asleep during sessions. And at some point I just said like, you need to sleep. I'm going to close the blinds and leave. And I will come back. And I knocked on my own office door, you know, 45 minutes later, and she slept for three sessions straight. And I had some ethical reservations about that. But at the same time, I was like, this woman is still bleeding. This woman has two other children at home in addition to her newborn. And she is mm-hmm. not in a supportive work environment. And she has not yet been able to recruit that support that she needs. And all of that stuff is hard. And she just needs sleep. Mm-hmm. Like Our mental health 
is best honored through practical stuff like sleeping, moving your body, just walking, even just stretching releases endorphins and eating foods that are from the earth and whole. Hmm. We don't understand the relationship between how you set yourself up for a total mood swing if you're sugar crashing and, and you know, you're just, I've done it before. We all do it. We're eating off our kids' plates. We're doing this, we're doing that. But like tweaking those things in your day and giving yourself full permission to prioritize the sleep you get and the food that you eat can help give you so much personal agency over your mood and what's happening in your brain as a new mom. Mm -hmm. It can really be such a wonderful protective measure against so much mental distress. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we talk a lot about separating out maternal sleep from baby sleep and crafting a plan for maternal sleep that does not hinge upon whether baby sleeps or not because we can expect that baby will not sleep, but that doesn't mean that we don't need sleep as a cornerstone for our mental health. And so getting creative with grandparents or support systems or other maybe solo moms or mom friends and you join up for a weekend and alternate shifts with each other. Like there are a lot of creative ways once we do commit to the idea that sleep is like a cornerstone of our wellness, especially in those early, early postpartum days. And there's just like so many new things and expectations. I feel like we want to do everything right initially. This is something that I hear And maybe as we think about wrapping up and as we think about maybe where to start for somebody who's like listening and really resonating with, I really feel the need to do it all. I feel the need to do it all perfectly. I just want to get it right. I just don't want to screw up my kids. I, you know, maybe over research and I go down the rabbit hole and I do all the things because I just want to do it right. Where can we practically start? Because that pressure that we feel is so real but also really robs us of our joy and freedom of expression in motherhood when we're just kind of have this pressure hanging over us always. Yeah. Well, first understanding that the deck is stacked against you, right? It's not a system that is set up with infrastructure to support moms, Mm -hmm. right? We are exploiting mothers and women in this culture, in lots of ways. So Mm. there's nothing you're doing to create this. It was already Mm. here when you got here. Like the smell was already here, okay? Yeah, you're not failing. You're not flawed. This is not a you problem. This is not a you problem, right? This is a systemic problem. And two, understanding that the greatest predictor of mental health is relational wealth. So that's true for us. It's true for our children. It's not about whether you can achieve stuff or do stuff, your kids are not going to be happier if they're the you know president of this or they get straight A's or whatever. Your kids are going to be happy and feel fulfilled and feel like whole human beings who are worthy of all the love, joy, dignity, freedom, and connection that any human being is worthy of. They're going to feel that way if they have quality relationships in their life. Mm. You only need really one relationship, but I think we forget that in the list of ways that we can be good parents. And it's like, well, healthy kids have healthy parents. Mm. And healthy kids have access to strong, healthy connections with their friends, with their parents, with, you know, as many people as, that's the legacy that I would like people to focus on leaving their kids, not working so hard so that they can have 
so much money so that they can do this or that or whatever. Leave the legacy of connection and let it be a living legacy, you know, of this was always available to my kid. You know, when I talk to people who are struggling with maladaptive perfectionism, it's not because they were not able to do something. It's because there was not a connection available to them Mm -hmm. in which they felt free to be themselves. Mm -hmm. And the number one way to teach children is to model, is to show them, is to be a living example of someone who prioritizes their own care and entitlement to take pleasure in their life. Mm. And that might look like making some really, really big changes. And this stuff takes time. We're talking about years. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about a couple of weeks, 30 days to this. Forget about all of that. If you are really struggling listening right now, something in you is being called to heal. And healing is a process. It's not an event. And the beginning part of that process looks like acknowledging a deservedness in yourself. I deserve to feel alive and take pleasure in my life. I am not on this earth to complete tasks, do things for other people and die. Hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like you got to take a little bit of a dramatic stand in prioritizing your own sense of personhood here. Mm -hmm. And then from that place of acknowledging that you deserve something that you don't have right now, we need to make decisions about what needs to go and what you need to cut ties with in order for you to have the space to pursue and be the person that you already are. Mm. It's just buried under all these other people's directives Mm -hmm. about how to live your life. So it's not about like, how do I develop this stuff? It's you are already who you are. You're already whole. You already have the thing you need. You just need to reveal that person by stopping doing the things that are not that important to you. Mm -hmm. That might've been really important to you the first five years of your twenties or the first five years of your kid's young life was to be there all the time and be present all the time physically. And maybe now physical presence is not that much of a priority. And like, what would that look like? What is a priority? Just exploring, giving yourself permission to ask these important questions Mm -hmm. and then living out the answer. I think even the intentional stopping to evaluate, like we just get defaulted into these roles so swiftly without questioning them because they're what we see around us that we don't even stop to say, wait a minute, whose expression of motherhood am I trying to live out right now, right? So the pause, as you mm-hmm. said, like the values are already there. The things that are important to you are are there if we pause to uncover them. And you know, if you're six weeks postpartum and sleep deprived, you're probably not even listening to this podcast, frankly. <laughs> you're probably, you know, <laughs> just trying to eat and sleep and function. So there is like a time and a place for this. Like if you're in survival mode, we're not in the most reflective place. But when you do carve out some air to breathe in and you have a little bit more space and capacity for yourself, really reflecting on and thinking about the role that you've been defaulted into and who chose that or why, or why are we making some of these decisions is such a great place to start. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. This was a really interesting conversation for so many reasons, and we could have it, I know, for hours and hours and hours. And, you know, if I could leave your listeners with one thing, Mm -hmm. it is the idea 
that there's nothing wrong with you. Just entertaining that idea that there is nothing wrong with you and starting from there. You know, that's what so much of my book is based on is the idea that so many women have come into my practice being like, oh, I'm getting it wrong. Uh, This is happening and that's happening. And and like, can you fix me is the subtext Mm -hmm. of what they said. And what we discovered is that there's nothing wrong with you. Mm -hmm. It's just that we're all under the thumb of a system in which there is something very wrong with the system. Yeah. And that is gaslighting at its finest. When we look at systemic issues and then say, let's talk about how the individual is getting it wrong. And it really comes out in mom guilt, I think, like when we automatically go to this internal, I am flawed place. I'm not doing enough, or I didn't do a good enough job, or I handled this situation incorrectly, or I must be the reason that they're behaving this way at daycare. Like We go internally and we don't ever question the system or look at the norms or the pressures that we're under that are creating everybody to feel this way. Like you are not alone in these feelings either. This is something that everybody is feeling and experiencing this feeling like they can't measure up because it's not reasonable. Like the expectations are so unattainable and unfair in a lot of ways. They are. And to that, I would just add one last thing, which is that one of my metrics that I now use is who am I disappointing right now? Have I disappointed anyone lately? And if I haven't, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is a question mark for me of like, Mm. because often the system is set up such that we either disappoint others or disappoint ourselves. And you'll always disappoint others because everyone has so many different ideas about what it means to be a good mom, who you are, whatever, but you can avoid disappointing yourself. So asking yourself, like, have I disappointed some people? And if the answer is yes, using that as a metric of success. That is a really empowering reframe, I feel like, because this mom guilt surveillance that we feel is often the eyes of others looking down on us in judgment for how we handled this situation, right? It's very like a surveilling type of feeling. And so to own that, and have it be from our values and be an intentional like choice to do it this way and it doesn't matter who I'm upsetting feels like a very empowering reframe on that when it comes up because I'm sure it'll continue to come up that like thinking whether we've disappointed someone. Oh, as a psychotherapist, nothing would sound the alarm more than if a woman came into my office, sat down on my couch and said, guess what? I am living in a way where I'm not disappointing anybody else. Hmm. I'm not disappointing. Everyone's so happy with what I'm doing all the time. I would panic Mm, (laughs) if if I heard someone. I would just start to say, okay, we got to get into the mix here because that is not a healthy thing. Mm. That's not good. It's not good. It's dangerous. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's a very powerful reframe. As I said, I haven't read a book in a long time that has sort of flipped a worldview that I've had on its head in a very empowering way. So The Perfectionist Guide to Losing Control, where can people find it? Where can they learn more from you? So the book is available everywhere you get books and on Audible. I read it myself. It was so much fun. And I am on Instagram at Katherine Morgan Schaffler. And that is also the name of my website, KatherineMorganSchaffler.com. You could take the quiz to find out which kind of perfectionist you are on my website or at perfectionistguide.com. And Erica, thank you so much for having me on. This is such an important ongoing conversation and it was a real honor to be on your show. 
Thank you so much. This is such a cornerstone of what we talk about all of the time. So I'm sure it'll resonate. And for those of you listening, if you have more questions, want to dive into this more, like let us know your feedback for this episode. We'll link all of your details and your quiz and everything in the show notes as well. So people can easily find you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It doesn't happen very often that I encounter something that truly changes the way that I view the world and look at a concept like perfectionism. I really appreciate Catherine's book and her perspective on this topic. I know that there are so many of you out there who struggle with a rigid and healthy form of perfectionism. The type of perfectionism that often goes hand in hand with anxiety. The one that drives you to research every decision for hours on end. That makes you feel like you have to do every activity and hand make all the Halloween costumes or bake things from scratch and do it all perfectly while having a spotless house. And I want you to know that you don't have to do those things and they are certainly not the measuring stick for being a good mom. You don't have to prove your worth in motherhood by being more or fulfilling outside expectations of what a good mom looks like. But on the flip side of that type of perfectionism, I love the concept that maybe these things that did drive us before motherhood can have a positive place in our lives. Maybe I don't need to be a recovering perfectionist. Maybe my perfectionist drive isn't a bad thing. It just needs to be flexible and channeled in the right direction. I also love that values became a cornerstone of this conversation. The truth is that we're mothering in a time with a lot of noise. We hear a lot of messages about what we should be doing, what we should be buying, what activities we need to be signing our kids up for, and we often push ourselves to do more and more until we burn out or reach a breaking point. But when we can turn to our values and use them as a guide for making decisions on where we spend our time and energy, we can begin to let go of the things that don't matter to us as much. And we can channel our drive and our ambition or our time with our family into the areas that matter most. Maybe that is presence instead of signing up for every extracurricular activity. Or maybe it's adventure and taking impromptu outings together. Either way, I encourage you to let go of some of the noise in favor of what really matters. If the concept of values is new to you or resonates, I encourage you to go back and listen to episode 106 with Dr. Cassidy Freitas. We go into depth on what values are and how to uncover yours so you can use them as a guide in your home. I would love to hear your thoughts on this episode, on perfectionism in motherhood, on ambition, or on anything else you'd like to hear more of in the future. Send me a DM or leave a review to let me know. And if you're really struggling with rigid or unhealthy perfectionism, like so many of us have, I want you to know that it doesn't have to be that way. Working with a mom therapist can help. Head to momwell.com slash booking to schedule a free virtual consult with one of our specialists today. That's momwell.com slash booking. I'll see you right back here. Same time, same place next week where I'm being joined by Dr. Marielle Bouquet to discuss breaking generational cycles. You don't want to miss it. I'll see you right back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to momwell.com slash learning center. 
To join the MomWell email list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies, head to momwell.com slash newsletter. Join me next week. Until then, remember that you have to be well to mom well. Settling is not an option. For Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.